they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Hello again. We dropped off in the heat. It's been great, hasn't it? Kate and I even managed to have a picnic on Friday. Strawberries and all. Marvellous. Well, I ate all the strawberries anyway. I did share one, I think. It's lovely. So, long may this summer weather continue. Do you all agree? Yeah. Yes. Or is this summer? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Um, just to let you know, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have a, a little operation on my knee. So I won't be around for a couple of weeks, because I have to rest, I've been told. Very strictly that I have to rest. But I thought I'd let you know so you could pray, and so that you didn't think I'd run off or something. Well, I'm going to start with a joke. Pentecost Sunday. Where would the church be without the Holy Spirit? Well, I've got a joke for you. There were two brothers who were terrible troublemakers. 
They were always breaking things. They were always stealing, lying, and making all kinds of general trouble. Sounds great fun. The parents tried everything to get the boys to change, but to no avail. And finally, out of options, they asked their local vicar if he could help, which is what most people do when they're out of options, actually. <laughs> he agreed to talk to the boys, but only one at a time. The parents dropped off the youngest and returned home, promising to return to get him soon. The boys sat in a chair across from the vicar's desk, and they just looked at one another. And then finally the vicar said, So, where is God? The boy just sat there and said nothing. The vicar looked stern and said loudly, Where is God? And the little boy shoveled in his seat, but still didn't answer. And at this point the vicar started to get really angry at the boy's refusal to talk. And he practically shouted, Where is God? And to the vicar's surprise, the little boy ran from the study fled the vicarage, ran all the way home, up the stairs and into his brother's bedroom. And he shut the door and panting, he said, we're in big trouble. God's missing and they, th and they think we did it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the people in today's passage from the Bible were in no doubt as to the whereabouts of God. They knew he'd made his presence felt in a big way. And he'd done that through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. Now last week in church we recalled how Jesus told his followers to be witnesses. People who take his love everywhere we go. Even to the corners of the earth. And the Gospel writer Luke tells us how Jesus told his friends and followers that he was going to send the promised gift of his spirit, a gift they were to wait to receive. And that's basically where we pick up the story today, where the disciples are together in one place, no doubt getting on with everyday life, but nevertheless watching and waiting for this promise, the promise of God's Holy Spirit, whatever that means. And it's from this understanding that we see What's behind God's promise? Nowhere do we see that the Holy Spirit is promised purely to bring personal fulfillment or spiritual satisfaction. That may happen down the line, but it doesn't seem to be God's ultimate aim. No, the driving force behind the promise of God's Spirit is his desire to see his love shared everywhere amongst all people and the events post-Pentecost certainly bear witness to that and you can read the rest of the, uh, the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles where you can see the effect the Holy Spirit had on those early Christians and the life of the church but how will the Holy Spirit inspire the sharing of God's love through church events through leaflets Christian albums Articles in the villager? No. Through the Holy Spirit empowering disciples to be disciples. By empowering followers of Jesus to be just that. Followers of Jesus. Nothing else. For centuries the church has had the tendency to focus far too much 
on personal, internal, spiritual satisfaction over and above corporate considerations. Ways of living out our faith in ways that in turn bless others as well as ourselves. Maybe it's time, Christchurch, that we ask God to help us grasp the true promise of his Holy Spirit by asking him to fill us and to empower us to help us to truly live for Jesus every moment of every day. Am I alone in this? Or do you want to grasp the true promise of God's Holy Spirit? Do you? Good. Do you want to be empowered to truly follow follow Jesus, whatever that entails? And that's a big whatever. Believe me, I did it once and look where it got me. Do you want to be an effective disciple? Are you tired like me of being a disciple of Jesus in name only? I am. I'm sick and tired of it. I want to live a life that stands out for all the right reasons. I want people to find Jesus through the way I live. And I want us to do that together as a church. The other day on Facebook to Christchurch on Facebook, I asked this question. And I said, if you want to be an effective disciple, and if you want to answer yes to that, let me know and I'll pray for you. And I was underwhelmed. I got two responses. And so with myself, that's three. Now, either way, there's, there's something to read into that, isn't it? Either we're so busy, we don't read Facebook, or else we're not bothered. No, 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 not those who are not on Facebook. You're, you're completely free of this... Uh, Accusation. But, uh, but either way, there's, a, there's, a, there's something to respond to there, isn't there? Because if the answer is yes, for any of us, whether we're on Facebook or not, it really doesn't matter. Then we can move on with God. And we can ask the Holy Spirit to do what he's promised to do. But how do we go about it then? How do we start to be or continue to be or develop as effective disciples of Christ? Well, firstly, we have to be alive to the promise of God's Holy Spirit, open to receive his power and wanting that to make a difference to every bit of life. And secondly, we need to get on with living as disciples of Christ around the dinner table, in the sixth form common room, at the gym, over coffee with friends, at work, at the school gate, wherever it is. But how? How is that going to happen? What does following Jesus look like? What are we asking in real terms? What are we asking the Holy Spirit to help us to do? Well, of course, the clues are in the Bible passage that Rachel read for us and, of course, the chapters that follow, as I've mentioned. These tell the story of the first Christians and the ways in which the Holy Spirit empowered them to live. And so we're going to look at the key things together for a few minutes this morning. Firstly, the Holy Spirit empowers disciples to relate to all people. Look at the incredible celebration of diversity through that first outpouring of God's Spirit in the church. Those present heard the disciples speaking in their own native language. Louise has reminded us about that. 
the Holy Spirit enabled the disciples to relate God's care and love to everybody. Now, the Holy Spirit enables us to break down barriers of prejudice, language, race, and background. We can relate God's love to all, no matter how different they are to us. Think of the people we shy away from. We all do it to some degree or another. The colleague we struggle to relate to at work. The sister or brother we could gladly throttle. Other parents or kids from school. God's love is for everyone. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to be carriers of that love. So instead of walking away, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to walk towards those who are different from you. Secondly, the Holy Spirit empowers disciples to share the power of Jesus Christ, his life and his death and his resurrection. Notice that Peter shared Jesus with those he encountered. And the writer of Acts tells us that it's Jesus, the one whom God made Lord and Christ. That's who he was sharing and wanting to share with people. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to be preachers and to stand up on a chair at work and proclaim truths about Jesus. We know the sort of reaction people who do that get in the center of town. But notice what Peter does. He gives an explanation for what God was already doing and shares the power and life-changing news of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit empowers the disciples to speak in different languages, and this gets the attention of everyone. And then Peter takes this opportunity, the crack in the door, if you like, to explain who's behind it and why it's even happening. He uses it as a chance to help people connect with God. So think of the ways we can do it. The times when people we know grasp for meaning in really difficult issues they're facing in life. The times when people wonder why you've been so kind to them. The occasions when your forgiveness provokes a response. The occasions when making time for someone sparks a tearful outburst or striking honesty. However it happens, be encouraged to ask God's Spirit to enable you to help people to connect with God through the saving power of Jesus. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit empowers disciples to build Christian communities. Now, by Christian communities, we're not simply meaning groups of people who sit in rows doing the same thing at the same time in a religious service, nice as that might be. We mean groups of people who have genuine and supportive relationships, who practice hospitality, share meals, encourage one another's faith, wherever and whenever that can happen. Now, as a mission-shaped church, this can happen anytime, anywhere, with friends over a meal, with colleagues over lunch, in a walking group, as senior citizens over afternoon tea, or better still, sherry and cake, at Starbucks, in a cafe here in our own church building. But are we willing for the Holy Spirit to enable us to break free from the religious service model of being church, which isn't very relational? Let's be honest. This doesn't feel very relational, particularly at the minute. (laughs) No, 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 you can't get around it. 
We're not really conversing. I'm just talking at you, aren't I? It's not building relationship. We do that in other ways. So the sitting in rows model, really, you know, it can only go so far. So what we need is we need to nurture simple groups of people. Notice I didn't say groups of simple people. (laughs) Simple groups of people who explore and support the adventure of the Christian faith together. Are you up for that and being part of that and helping those groups to form? Groups of people who explore and support the adventure of the Christian faith together. And if you are up for that, then what group or groups are you going to be part of? Fourthly, the Holy Spirit empowers disciples to bring healing. Notice what Peter does in the days following Pentecost. When he meets a crippled beggar, you can read in the chapters that follow, chapter 3. Peter's first instinct is to give him, give him the gift of healing through the power of Jesus. Now, of course, we should faithfully pray for physical, emotional, and spiritual healing. But healing won't always be instantaneous, as with Peter and that crippled beggar. Talk to anyone who's recovered from illness recently, and they'll probably tell you about the healing power of love and care, as well as prayer. Maybe we shy away from looking to bring healing because it's seen as being something for the super spiritual. But maybe it's much, much simpler. It could be as simple as praying for someone in the corridor at work. Do you have the courage for that? Do I have the courage for that? Or on the playground, or at the school gate, or over the phone, trusting God to bring healing in whatever way he chooses, and trusting that he'll be at work for good in that difficult situation. So how can you and I be people of healing? Fifthly, the Holy Spirit empowers disciples to give generously. Now in Acts chapter 4, the writer tells us how the Christians shared their possessions. They shared everything they had. They sold houses, sold land, and gave it to the community of believers called the church. And they did that because they trusted that God above all things, would provide just what they needed. Now, we had our gift day last week, and as far as I'm aware, not one of us gave the proceeds from the sale of a house or a field. I certainly didn't. I did think, for a while, that I'd really like a 3D TV. But I don't need a 3D TV. So we gave the money instead. Maybe God doesn't require us to sell a field or a house but being spirit-filled disciples will certainly inspire us to give generously trusting that no one will be in need and so have we as a church genuinely responded to that gift day and made our pledges even if it's to commit or recommit to give the same what we were already giving, or less, because that's what you need to do. We understand. But nevertheless, using it as an opportunity to rededicate our resources as one. Or have we, have we relied on other people to do that, and we've left, left it alone? We really need to stand, like that first church in Acts, as one. 
Are we truly a Christian community in which everyone gives generously? Or do we all hold something back? Let's listen to the nudges of the Holy Spirit and act on it. We can still make pledges and we can still think about the ways in which we can continue to give generously to God. And so if that was the fifth thing the Holy Spirit empowers disciples to do, then the sixth and final one is this. He empowers disciples to pray. Again, in Acts chapter 4, the writer tells us how Peter and John were taken before the Jewish rulers for all this Holy Spirit stuff that was going on. You imagine back then, they just thought, what on earth is this? You know, so they wanted to get an account of this. They wanted to hear from them. They wanted them to answer for these things. Word got about. And on their release, Peter and John pray a powerful and courageous prayer. They ask God to enable them to share the life-changing power of Jesus boldly. And it had an effect. God filled them again with his spirit and they went on to help many other people encounter Jesus for themselves. How often do we stop to pray? And if we do, do we pray for that? Do I pray for that? It's important for us to get together with others to pray. To pray about the things we're facing. To pray for others. To thank God for all that he's done and is doing. And to pray courageously that God will enable us to share the life-changing power of Jesus. And that's why weekly morning prayer is so important for us as a church. To ask God to enable us, to empower us, to share the life-changing power of Jesus with other people. So who can you get together to pray with? A couple of other guys at the pub over a drink? With a friend at school or college? With a colleague at work? With others in your family? Or with your husband or wife? Prayer makes a difference. And powerful things can come from a group of believers who get together to pray courageously. So how will you? How will you? And so to finish, the key message I want us to take away is that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be disciples of Jesus in every way, in every place. This is 24-7 mission-shaped discipleship, just like we see in the book of Acts. Isn't it about time that we ask the Holy Spirit to enable us to be true disciples of Jesus, not simply asking for a Holy Spirit top-up in our cosy little holy huddle, but in order to live and breathe for Jesus Christ every minute of every day.